few months from now, you'll all be very quick at getting to Colossians. We'll be here for a while. We'll read this morning Colossians 1, verses 1 through 20. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of, of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made, made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. So far our scripture reading this morning. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 107, stanzas 1, 2, 6, and 17. We want to focus on particularly this morning our verses 9 through 14 of Colossians 1. And since it's only a few verses, let's read those again so that we may have them fresh on our minds. Colossians 1, verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So far from the word of God. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, I was just listening to a podcast this past week by a pastor uh, who was giving helpful tips for how to organize your year, the different seasons of the year in in pastoral ministry. And one of the points he made, uh, unfortunately I heard it too late, was he said, never start a sermon series in the beginning of July. Well, here we are in the beginning of July when people will be coming in and out on vacation. And uh, hopefully those of you who will be will be able to connect the dots. But we're going to be here in Colossians for at least several months throughout uh, the summer and probably a little bit afterwards. Well, I want to start by saying something about the letter to the Colossians. And and this will help us think about the the letter as a whole and also about our goal uh, as we work through this letter Uh, The letter to the Colossians is an amazingly rich letter. It's a life-changing letter for for many Christians. There are many Christians who who will recognize that their conversion to God happened as they were working through the book of Colossians. There are deep and profound truths in this book, in this letter. And yet, for some reason, it's not nearly as well known as other letters written by Paul. Uh, there, are, there are not as many famous verses coming out of uh, Colossians as there are out of, let's say, Philippians, which we worked through last year. Uh, that's just dotted with these verses that you'll find engraved in embroideries and, and on, on people's walls. You don't find nearly as many out of Colossians. And, and there are far fewer Christians that would also say, this is my favorite book out of, out of the Bible. You get that a lot more with Ephesians, with Philippians, and, and other letters by Paul. This is also why it's not preached on as often as other letters. Well, one of the reasons why that is, is because the, at least the first couple of chapters of Colossians are highly, deeply theological. And, and that might give the impression, as we, as we look at that, it might give us the impression that this letter is, is less practical than other letters of Paul. And, and in today's Christianity, we are, we are hungry for the practical. Uh, we want the five rules for a happy, fulfilled marriage, or six strategies for a satisfying career, or seven steps to a happy Christian life, uh, eight marks of a healthy church, all these very practical things. And, and those are good things as far as they go to desire. But then when we get to Colossians, we, we find Paul wanting to talk about Christ as, as the image of the invisible God. What does that mean? And the firstborn of all creation. And our eyes, as we read that, already start to gloss over a little bit. We wonder, what's all that about? And, and before we know it, if we're reading through Colossians in, in a devotion, our personal Bible reading, we can get through the entire letter without really touching down and grabbing a foothold in this letter and being able to take in what is being laid down for us. Now, maybe that's, that's exaggerating our, our problem a little bit, but you understand the point. 
Uh, it's especially there in the first couple chapters of Colossians. You can read through it with, uh, without actually realizing or remembering even what you've read. You can gloss right over these first chapters. And we might conclude from that that Colossians is, is less practical and therefore less relevant for the Christian life. Well, what I want to point out this morning is that this letter to the Colossians was and was designed to be immensely practical, especially for the people of that day. And it is just as practical today. If you glance over the letter, especially the second half of the letter, uh, you can see there's a very clear structure in this letter as a whole. Chapters 1 and 2 are highly theological. There's, There's depth that you must plumb if you're to get this book. There are are big, important truths that the Colossians and we need to know. But then the rest of chapter 2 and all of chapters 3 and 4 are thoroughly practical down to the smallest details. He talks there in uh, chapters 2 through 4 about how you deal with food, how you deal with festivals, parties, how you deal with legalists who pass judgment on you, He talks about our sexual lives. He talks about uh, virtually every one of the other Ten Commandments that we've also uh, looked at in our recent series on the commandments. He talks about kindness, humility, patience, rules for Christian households, how we talk, how we use our time, all sorts of very, very practical things. And we're going to get to all of those things. And yet Paul wants us to start with these big theological truths that determine and shape our lives. And that's very, very much by design. Uh, I want to show you in a moment from our text in, in verses 9 through 12 uh, how, how that is Paul's intention. Uh, but let me say then, by, by way of introduction to the, to the series as a whole, this is also how we're going to approach the book of Colossians over the next several months. And then, if that, since that's true, here's the principle that we're going to want to keep in mind. This is uh, the challenge for you, but also the challenge for me. My responsibility as I uh, work through this, as I preach on this. The degree to which we benefit from the practical parts, chapters 2, the end of 2 through 4, the degree to which we benefit from those depends entirely on the degree to which we invest ourselves in chapters 1 and 2, by God's grace, of course. In other words, how much we take away from all the practical parts of the letters depends on how much we put ourselves into the theological parts, how much we dig deep in order to understand the truths that are being laid out there. If we do that work, we think hard through what Paul is saying in chapters 1 and 2, then we will reap an amazing harvest in chapters uh, 2, 3, and and 4. If we skim over chapters 1 and 2, we will reap very little from chapters 2, 3, and 4. What this means for me as, as the preacher, then, is that my commitment to you over the next several months is to dig deep in this letter, to ask hard questions, uh, serious questions of the chapters ahead of us, And what this means then for you is that you're going to need to put your heads into especially the first 
couple chapters and, and talk about it also with your families. Discuss what do these truths mean? Why do they matter? And, and allow them that way to, to sink through your minds and into your, your hearts to become part of the way you think and the way that you see your world. If we do that well in the first chapters, we will benefit very much in the later chapters. So that's, that's the principle then by which we're going to uh, approach this book. Let's look then at verses 9 through 12, and, and uh, we'll finish then on verses 13 and 14. Uh, we'll start by introducing the, the uh, Colossian church. Colossae was a wealthy city in Asia Minor, so that's present-day Turkey. And in Paul's day, Colossia was famous uh, for its sheep farms and its wool trade. So they were, they were a farming city, uh, so there were farms, uh, sheep farms all around, and then the, the Colossae was the trading port for all of that uh, wool. And in the Bible, Colossians, the, the, or the city of Colossae, is unique in, in two ways. Uh, first, this is generally understood to be the last of Paul's letters that he ever wrote to any church. That's important then to keep in mind. This is the last letter we have that Paul's written to a church. Uh, in, in our Bibles, the, the letters of Paul are arranged in order of size. In case you've never noticed that, they, they're just from biggest to smallest all the letters to the churches. Uh, so they're not in chronological order. If they were in chronological order, Colossians would be the last one. Uh, we don't know what happened to Paul after he wrote Colossians. There are uh, legends from church history that say he, he ended up being free and moving on to Spain and preaching the gospel there. Uh, but we don't know. The last we hear, he's in prison in Rome. And this is the last letter we get from him. Uh, So this letter is unique in that way, in that it's the last of his letters. It's also unique in that Colossae was the only city, as far as we know, that Paul never actually visited. So all the other cities he had visited, uh, with the exception of uh, Romans, he wrote that before he visited, but then he did go and visit that church. But he never visited Colossians. And that also affects the way that the letter is written. Uh, This is not a church that Paul planted. It's a church that someone else planted, and Paul is now ministering to uh, by way of this letter. Uh, So, uh, now we can see in in verse 7 of our chapter um, that that, uh, they had heard the gospel first from a man named Epaphras, and we learn in chapter 4 that Epaphras was actually one of their own members. So Epaphras somehow had managed to, to bump into Paul to hear the gospel there. And the effect of that was that he turned around and went straight back home to his city of Colossae. And he preached the gospel to his own people. And so that church uh, was founded. And that, that in itself is an, uh, an interesting takeaway. Uh, this is often how churches are planted, how churches grow. In fact, it's even a, a biblical model for church growth, that individuals who hear the gospel go back to their own people and bring the gospel to them. Uh, this is why in our own evangelistic efforts as a church, uh, we always want to focus on building relationships because it's through those relationships uh, that the gospel is spread. We uh, we share the gospel with people we know, people we live life with, and then they will go and share it with people that they know. Uh, and this is especially true now in Canada, where uh, there are people from all over the world that, that are now our neighbors. And all of them 
have contacts back home, whether it's in India, Pakistan, uh, somewhere in Asia or Africa, uh, they go back to their homes and bring the gospel there. That's how it happened also with Colossians. Uh, So, this letter is unique in both of those ways. It's the last of Paul's letters, and it's also the only one he's ever written to a church that he never visited. And what's interesting about that is that you can see that Paul nonetheless loves and cares for this church. You can have it where people are only really invested or only really care about uh, churches that they've planted or or ministries that they are directly involved in. That's not the way that Paul is. He gets excited. You can see his excitement here in this chapter. He gets excited about this church that was not even a church that he himself planted. He loves them and he honors them as fellow believers. You can see his, his honor that he also bestows on them in this chapter. Uh, So you can see in in verse 3, he writes, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So he's praying for a church that was not even his own church plant. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, there he honors them as believers, and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. You see there Paul's vision. He's not just interested in the, the churches he's working with directly, but as he watches the gospel go out to the whole world, that's where his prayers are oriented. He cares about the whole picture of Christ's work. And you notice in, in these verses then that Paul and also Timothy, remember that, this is not just a letter by Paul, it's also by Timothy. It's right there in verse 1. Uh, these two men are excited and grateful for the work of God in the church of Colossae, and, and they honor these fellow believers. Uh, he also honors Epaphras, the man who brought the gospel to them. Uh, He says, He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So there he's he's showing honor also to this fellow worker. Uh, Paul Paul tells us in, in Romans 12, he gives us the command, Love one another with a brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor to one another. Well, Paul models this for us here in Colossians. He shows what it's like to honor your fellow believers and to honor the work that your fellow believers are doing. Uh, So he not only commands us to do it, but he sets a good example for us. And it it should cause us to also reflect. Does, Does the way that we speak to one another and also about one another, also behind closed doors, does the way we speak show honor to one another as brothers and sisters within the church and as fellow workers of the gospel of Christ. Now I want to focus on verses 9 through 12 because that's where uh, Paul and also Timothy lay out their whole vision for, for this entire letter. Uh, whenever you see a prayer in the beginning of uh, one of the, the, the letters to the churches, that prayer lays out what the letter is all about, what the purpose of writing that letter is for. And that prayer is there in verses 9 uh, through 14. So let's just go back to those verses. Verse 9, Paul writes, So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking 
Now there's two prayers here. That you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's one half of the prayer. It's a long, we'll unpack it. That's one half. Secondly, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Uh, so you see there these, uh, these, these two prayers. Uh, there's the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom. It's one prayer that he, he prays for this church. And secondly, that they would be strengthened with all power for the purpose of patience and, and endurance. And uh, you, you want to notice there, there's, there's an object source uh, pattern in, in both of those two prayers. So what's the object? The object of his prayer in the first half is the knowledge of God's will. That's what he's praying for. He pray for the knowledge of God's will. What's the source? In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So how do you know God's will? By gaining spiritual wisdom. The second prayer, uh, being strengthened with all power. So strength is what he prays for for this church. Where is that coming from? From the power of God. There's that object source uh, relationship. And, and I lay that out for you in those technical terms because it shows you that this is how the Christian life works. Uh, there, there is the, the thing that we strive for, whether it's knowledge, whether it's strength, and there's the source, which is in the gospel. And you see that in both of them. Uh, where do you find spiritual wisdom and understanding? In the gospel of Christ. Where do you find the power of God? Romans 1. Uh, the, power of the, the gospel is the power of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Right? Romans, Romans 1. Uh, so, there, what we pray for as Christians is, is uh, uh, the knowledge of God's will for our lives. We want to know what does God want from our lives. And we also pray for strength to carry that out. Now, where do we find those things? We find them in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that same pattern is is the key to understanding the entire book of Colossians. Uh, Remember, I I mentioned earlier, this is a very practical uh, book, and you see that in the pages ahead. There's, uh, again, feast days, food, drink, family life, sexuality, relationships, all these very, very practical things. And that's, that's the knowledge of God's will. Right there, that he's praying for. All those details. Uh, and, and this is Paul's intention for this to be a practical, detail-oriented, practical book. Uh, and so, so his whole orientation is to the lives of the Colossians. Uh, so it, it, it gets down to real life, but it starts, it starts with what do you know? What do you understand about Christ. If you start there, everything else unfolds. If you try to jump directly to the practical, uh, you will not understand the larger picture. That is not spiritual wisdom. Uh, so the source is in the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of the gospel. So that's Paul's intention then. We're going to start there with the knowledge of Christ, and that will lead us 
to what is the will of God for our lives today and, and to where does the strength for that come from. Let's talk then about wisdom. That's the first half of the prayer, right? In all spiritual wisdom. Let me just give a definition for wisdom. Wisdom is seeing things as they really are and knowing how to act accordingly. Okay, you got that? There's two, two, two parts to that. Seeing things as they really are and knowing how to act accordingly. I'll give you an example. Uh, a wise mother will see her, her little toddler running around in his diapers and, and will see in that child a man or a woman in the making. As she looks at her toddler in his diapers and thinks, this is the next generation of the church. That's wisdom, to see things as they really are. She thinks in 20 short years, this little man is going to be leading the church or leading the family or taking on responsibility. And because she sees things then as they are, she will know how to act accordingly. She'll teach him. She'll correct him. Uh, she'll discipline him because she knows that in a short time, he's going to be a man. And, and he's, he's, he's going to either be a godly man taking his family and the church in a godly direction, or he'll be a dangerous, destructive man. Uh, so wisdom is seeing things as they are and then also knowing how to act accordingly. Uh, a, a foolish parent would, would only see things right on the surface, the way they may appear to be. So she'll look at her toddler in his diapers and, and think nothing other than, isn't he so cute? Well, in 20 years, he won't be so cute if there isn't a, 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 a deliberate intention to raise him in the fear and instruction of the Lord. Again, wisdom, seeing things as they are, and then knowing how to act accordingly. That's Paul's prayer also for the Colossians. Uh, that is wisdom. And when you have it, it applies in every area of life, as well as in the bigger questions of our lives. Uh, it, it works itself down into all the little details. Uh, real estate agents and, and investors will also know it takes wisdom to recognize what's an asset and what's a liability? Uh, that, that, that matters. And once you know that, you know how to act accordingly. It takes wisdom on a, on a much deeper level to recognize that our lives are very fleeting, that they pass in, in very few years, and that you can't take all of those assets and liabilities with you uh, afterwards. That also takes wisdom. And when you recognize that, then you know how to act accordingly. Uh, and and you, can have, uh, you can have one kind of wisdom without having another kind. You can have uh, financial wisdom and be spiritually clueless. You can have spiritual wisdom and be financially clueless. Uh, though at least if you're spiritually wise, you'll read the book of Proverbs and become financially uh, wiser at least. Uh, but if you, if you look around in our world, you can recognize that uh, wisdom makes all the difference. And that's what Proverbs also teaches. Uh, wisdom, there's nothing more precious to seek after, to strive after than wisdom. Uh, you can see it immediately when people don't have wisdom. So when you ask those questions, you know, what is that person thinking? Uh, there's a lack there of, uh, of wisdom. But here's the thing that Paul recognizes. Wisdom does not come automatically. Uh, wisdom takes time and effort to learn. 
That's why he's praying for it for the Colossian church. Nobody's born wise. And and you don't automatically get wiser with age either. There are people that grow old and never become wise. That's why the refrain in Proverbs over and over and over is, Get wisdom. Uh, Proverbs 4, verse verse 7. "The, The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Uh, Wisdom takes striving after. It also takes praying after. James 1 verse 5, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously and without reproach. And that's why Paul also here is praying that the church would gain wisdom. Now you notice he, he says all spiritual wisdom. So he's talking here about wisdom specifically in relation to uh, great spiritual truths. And that also means it's, it's wisdom that will only come through the Holy Spirit of God. So it is something that must be prayed for. You can't get spiritual wisdom by your own strength. It is something that God gives. Proverbs 9 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. It's when you know that the Lord not only created us, but rules over us and, and calls us to give an account of our lives, that's, that's all the fear of the Lord, uh, that affects how you live. It affects every other decision that you make. So it is the beginning of wisdom. Again, it's, it's seeing things as they really are, knowing we live in a world created by God, ruled by God, and held to account by God. That's seeing things as they are, and then knowing how to act accordingly. Uh, the fool, Psalm 14, the fool says there is no God. Uh, so there is spiritual wisdom, and there is also spiritual folly. And so now Paul is writing to to this Christian church, and spiritual wisdom also takes on then a Christian uh, character. This is what he is specifically praying for. Uh, Spiritual wisdom is not just the fear of God in general, but the fear of God as He has shown Himself in Christ. It is knowing who Christ is. It is knowing the Gospel. And then it is knowing all the implications of the Gospel. It's understanding what the Gospel is and what it means. And you can see that, if you turn back to our text, you can see that uh, throughout this letter. Um, and, and throughout this, this chapter already. So starting in uh, verse 5, so he says, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, here's the first element of the gospel. Uh, it's, it's all about the grace of God in truth to sinners. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Uh, then, there, then there is his prayer, and you see, especially in verses 12 through 14, some of the aspects of this this wisdom that he's praying for, the things that he wants them to see as they really are. So verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. There's one element of gospel wisdom. 
we have an inheritance. If you see that, if you know that, that shapes the way that you live. Uh, My life is not just limited to the 80-some years that I spend here on earth. I have an inheritance after. And one of the ways, so, so again, wisdom is seeing things as they are and knowing how to act accordingly. One of the, the, the ways you will act accordingly is there in the beginning of verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. If you know you have an inheritance, you will respond by giving thanks to the Father. Or verse 13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. There's an element of wisdom recognizing the world around us is in the domain of darkness. There's darkness, folly, uh, there is evil. And he has transferred us uh, to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's the gospel again. Uh, We've been rescued from that darkness. We're now in a new kingdom. That, knowing that, is spiritual wisdom. Seeing things as they are. Uh, Verse 14 also, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Our sins are forgiven. That too, to know that, to believe it, to take it to heart, is spiritual wisdom. And that too shapes how we will act accordingly. Now those verses, verses 14 and, or 13 and 14, we'll focus on them a bit more next time. Uh, but they are, uh, they are the, the heart of this entire letter. So the prayer is in verses 9 through, through 12. This is his purpose and prayer for the Colossians. And, and that's his purpose then in writing this letter. And the message that he would have us take to heart uh, cannot be better summarized than right there in verses 13 through 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You'll see that theme coming back in literally every single sermon. Every text is rooted and built right onto that, uh, those, those two verses. Uh, So more than anything else, this is a letter that has wisdom as its highest aim. And that wisdom is knowing Christ, knowing the gospel, and then when you know that, being able to see your whole life in light of that gospel. That is uh, true wisdom. And that doesn't come automatically. It takes study. It takes time in God's Word, it takes prayer, uh, and it takes the Lord's blessing, the, the work of the Holy Spirit. So, brothers and sisters, we need to understand then how this, this flows, how the Christian life flows. It starts, it starts with spiritual wisdom and understanding, knowing things, seeing things as they really are, and that leads to knowing the will of God, so the will of God that Uh, for for your lives, the things that are pleasing to God. And that then leads uh, to walking in a manner uh, worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. Uh, So you can see the flow there in verses uh, 9 and 10. Spiritual wisdom teaches us the will of God, and that shows us how to walk in a way that bears fruit in every good work, which depends, of course, on the the circumstances of our lives. If you know the will of God generally, then you can know the will of God specifically in your own circumstances. And this is why it's so important for us to start at the top level where Paul would have us start and work our way down into the details. Uh, Many many of us are, are at 
at, at that, that bottom level where we, we simply want to know what's, uh, uh, what should I do in the circumstances of my life. Just, just tell me what to do. That's, that's the bottom level. But we are to go uh, one level up at least uh, where, where we're asking not just what do I do in, in this particular circumstance, but what's the will of God for my life as a whole? And then Paul would have us go even a level further up and be starting by asking, what's true? Tell me what's true about Jesus Christ. And if I know that, then I will know the will of God. And if I know that, then I will know what God would have me do in my particular circumstance. That is spiritual wisdom. So we don't want to take the easy route and and just skip the first chapters, go to the end and say, Paul, tell us what to do. Paul would say, uh, no, start with what is true And in time, you will know exactly what to do in any circumstance of your life. Uh, The same principle applies to the second half of the prayer. Remember, the first half is is, uh, knowing the will of God, coming from spiritual wisdom. The second half is being strengthened with the power of God. Uh, And and the goal... The goal there is for uh, endurance and patience with joy. So those are, those are your bottom details. Endurance, patience in whatever circumstances uh, you might be in. And those are going to come from being strengthened. And that's going to come from knowing the power of God in Jesus Christ. It starts there at the top level. So Paul could just tell us, how, how to be patient, how to, be, uh, how to endure, how to be joyful in, in your different circumstances. He could do that, but you're not going to have the strength to do that unless you're strengthened by the power of God. And you won't be strengthened by the power of God unless you have that power first in Christ. Uh, when, you, when you discover the endless reserves of power in Christ, in the gospel, you will have strength. To be, and to, to be able to endure, to be patient and joyful in all circumstances. It starts with the power of Christ in the gospel. And so then in, in the next couple of chapters where we will be for at least a month and a half, Paul is going to tell us some deep and amazing truths and realities concerning Christ. That's where we must start uh, that's the rest of, uh, of chapter 1 and, and half of chapter 2. He's going to talk about Christ being the, the image of the invisible God. He's going to talk about how all things were created by Christ. Uh, he's going to be- talk about how Christ is our head, the head of the church, and why that matters, why we, we do not have and cannot have any other head. He's going to talk about how, how we were once alienated from God, what that means and why that matters, and what Christ has done for us to bring us back near by His blood. He's going to talk about how we were once dead and now have been made alive. He's going to talk about the cross, the role of the cross, the centrality of the cross in the Christian life. Uh, so all these theological things, but don't think for a second that Paul is not interested in the nitty-gritty details of your life. He is, and he makes it clear right here in the beginning, that that's his entire purpose. All of this theology is precisely there so that we can get to our lives. 
And that's where this letter is going to go. And we're going to spend time there once we get there. But the road, the road there goes through chapters 1 and 2. And that's on purpose. That's as, as Paul has designed it. Uh, so this is a letter about the Christian life. That's what it's all about. But it's a letter about real Christian life. You hear the name Christ right there in the word Christian. It's about a life that is rooted and grounded in Christ. Not, not the imitation Christian life that, that follows still all the, all the proper do's and don'ts, but the real life that is actually rooted and grounded in Christ Himself. Uh, everything changes when you know and comprehend and understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it works its way down into all of the smallest details. So let me close then with the same encouragement that I gave at the beginning of this sermon. There is a challenge and a responsibility, uh, both for myself as preacher and for you as congregation. The degree to which we are impacted by the, by the practical portions depends entirely on the degree to which we invest ourselves in the gospel truths that are right here at the beginning. That's the, the, the route that Paul would have us go. By God's grace, my commitment to you then is to search these truths out week after week, to lay them before you, to seek to understand them and, and also what they mean and, and to show them to you in, in, in all of their glory. So do, do please be praying for me as, as I do that. And your responsibility, and I will be praying for you, and you should be praying for one another, uh, will be to meditate on these truths, uh, both on Sunday as you hear the sermon, but also during the week, to talk about them with your children. What do these gospel truths mean? And what do they mean for you? Uh, to know that God has revealed them to us with the goal, the purpose, that they would transform and, and reorient our lives. So let's meditate then on the truths of the gospel, and by God's grace, He will make us into that, that soil in the parable of Jesus, that soil that bears fruit uh, 30, 50, and 100-fold. Amen.